Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Smashpot. In the autumn of 1888, London's huge metropolis was gripped by fear. On the teeming streets of Whitechapel, women were being torn to pieces by a killer who vanished in the shadows, time after time. So terrible was the savagery that the world remembers it still. Jack the Ripper. Leading the manhunt was Scotland Yard's Inspector Frederick George Abilene. Mary Nichols was a shilling whore. She wasn't killed for money, she didn't have any. According to the doctors, she wasn't even sexually assaulted. Yet somebody tore her to pieces in the streets. So find him. Let me know if you hear anything, Kelly. Of course I will, Georgie. I've seen him. The killer. You saw the killer in a vision? Look for a man with two faces. Is this what you saw in your vision? Not exactly, Miss Prentice. The hair is too long. Oh, it's shorter hair. You know who he reminds me of? Richard, that's who it is. Richard Mansfield, the American actor. <laughs> but worse, much worse, was still to come. Hello and welcome to Smirch Pod 2, The Kane Scrutiny, a podcast celebrating the vast oeuvre of Michael Kane, the highs, the lows, and everything in the middle. This truly is the podcast where you're only supposed to have a good time. Sorry, that's what Michael Kane said once on Twitter. Anyway, this week we'll be donning our hats, packing our Gladstone bags, and travelling back to London in 1888 to try and solve one of the world's most famous crimes, and I don't mean Lewis Collins' moustache. There will be blood, guts, tears... An emotional shouting. Yes, it's Jack the Ripper. And joining me to be dear boss for a day is comedy writer and co-host of the superb podcast Wrestle Me, Mark Haynes, who can be found on Twitter as at Mark Haynes. Hi, Mark. Hello, John. Welcome back. And we are indeed back. Very much. This is season two. Yes. Season. Yes. You'll notice that's hit hot among the kids these days. They do say season, don't they? Yeah, we used to say series. Yeah. But uh, season makes it sound like more spectacular. You can't say series anymore. No. It's like you can't say anything. It's PC gone mad. <laughs> um, so Jack the Ripper then. 
This was made for the 100th anniversary of a murder, which is what they do these days. I remember this. This was a TV production. Yeah. And it was sort of released on home video as a film. Mm-hmm. So they, they put them together. But I remember this being on ITV. Yeah, it was Thames. Huge as well. I mean, it yeah. was absolutely huge. And I remember all the adults talking about it. I remember the buzz about it. And it's weird that it's totally disappeared now. Yeah. Nobody sort of remembers it as being groundbreaking TV at all. You never see it mentioned no. on the sort of 100 greatest TV hits or moments. And I th- actually thought it was spectacular. Mm. I really, really enjoyed this. I uh, had a copy of it on video years ago, bought from a sort of like early computer exchange place in Watford and they used to have a big wall of videos mm. and it was one of those videos that we watched so often it was crackly and it, the, the tape had been worn out a bit but there's no sex in it none at all possible? well I bought it thinking I was going to see some ripping Yeah. and the one thing that's really noticeable about this there's no ripping no ripping no ripping at all No. but a great piece of TV but it is ripping it's made at a time when TV wasn't very good mm. and it's made at a time when films certainly coming out of Brit weren't very good and everything about it I thought was absolutely excellent. This is HBO before HBO was a thing like proper miniseries yeah the film company made it Euston Films Mm. and I had a look at them on the BFI and the BFI they make a specific parallel between Euston Films and HBO so Euston Films had set up in I think 71 and the programs they were making were Minder Minder, they made uh, The Sweeney Mm. Van der Volk and they changed the business entirely because they had two basic tenants one was that everything was filmed on location and the other was that they didn't have a, a set crew like the BBC, yeah. where the BBC go, we're making this now, and off you go. They took on freelancers. And so you get the very, very best freelancers making this television that is all set on location. And that's something that they bring through to this. But it didn't start off as a sexy film, though, did it? No. It started off as a sort of downtrodden video production with Barry Foster. That's right, Van, Van der Volk himself, yeah. playing the Michael Caine role. Yeah, uh, again, method acting as well. Oh, he, he really is. quite drunk. Do you know what? You might watch this and you'd go, is Caine the best choice for playing Fred Aberline, yeah. the detective who's investigating the Ripper crimes. And it's only when you see Barry Foster doing it that you go, God, Kane is the right choice. Yeah. Barry Foster, people would say that Michael Kane brings sometimes a one-note performance. Yeah. I'm quiet, I'm quiet, I'm quiet. Now I'm shouting, now I'm shouting. And you notice that Barry Foster is just doing the shouting part. Mm. He looks hot and he looks ill. Mm. I don't know if you noticed the film version with Kane. The first time you see him, he's drunk. Yes. in a cell and yeah. he's been drinking and they slowly through the film show that he's putting the booze to one side yeah. in the original TV version Barry Foster kept drinking throughout yeah. and I get the impression that that wasn't necessarily a choice made by the producers <laughs> I would suspect not <laughs> that was a choice made by Barry Foster's yeah. unquenchable thirst <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we start off with a narration now we're getting spoiled here because you get Patrick Allen who was Mr. Voiceover for a long time until he died then you get Michael Jason so you get two two for the price of one yeah it is always funny when you hear patrick allen because for me he is the voice of reeves and mortimer yes and so when it starts you're slightly waiting for reeves and mortimer to come on dressed Mm. as irish prostitutes yeah he also did all the voiceovers films like the wild geese and north sea hijacking wild geese what a voice i wish i could do an impression i can't there's something worth saying at this point when you see you've got patrick allen there Mm. this is a film that is full of the cream of 70s british acting those small screen actors whose names you often and don't recognise whose faces are familiar but you couldn't put them in one role yeah. and this film is stuffed with them the quality of the performances in this by the supporting cast I think is it's absolutely textbook I think the cream aspect is probably why your tape was worn <laughs> someone took that literally <laughs> there's a bit where Ray McAnally's name comes up really 
big. Right. And it's unusual to see, because it's right in the middle of your vision, yeah. you just see the word anal appears. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps they thought it was a parody porno. You know. Has there ever been a Jack the Ripper parody porno? No, I don't think so. But you could do it, because, you know, you like using you, his penis as a knife. You say you could do it, John. You could definitely do it. <laughs> I would say Jack the Stripper, but that's another case entirely. It is, yeah. A yeah. more, well, not, not a more horrible, but an as horrible case. Yeah. Jack's in general are bad. Yeah, don't trust them. No. Do you know the um there's a, an author who wrote a book about the Jack the Stripper case. Right. This is in the 2000s and he named the person who he believed was responsible who he said was a serving police officer. Yeah. And he died in very mysterious circumstances at a young age. The author or the police? The author. Oh. He wrote that fantastic book. It's got it's got a lot about Charles Hawtrey calling the fire brigade out so that oh, firemen would rescue him. I know the one you mean. I can't remember what it's called though. All the know. devils are here. There you go. David Seabrook. Yeah. Uh, his follow-up to that was Jack of Jumps uh, about the uh, Jack the Stripper murder. Not about Eddie Kidd. Eddie Kidd has never been connected with the murder of women. Although he had a mysterious accident, didn't he? So maybe he was connected. <laughs> this is exactly like the conspiracy theories that ruin the Jack the Ripper murder story. Eddie Kidd was Jack the Ripper. I can't believe it. But it would explain how he got to the double event so quickly. He jumped over London Bridge. <laughs> on, a, on a Victorian bike made of bones. Steampunk. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> Let's just go home. <laughs> so uh, we start at the Star, mm. which is an important factor of this story. Yeah, the newspaper. Uh, he's sent, he's written a story. He's a bit like Farage. He wants to whip up hysteria <laughs> about saying that the police have lost control of London. If Sadiq Khan was around, then <laughs> he would have been beaten to death on the streets. If Sadiq Khan was around, he certainly would have been one of the many people who weren't British born and bred <laughs> who would be in the frame. Although, if his balloon was the murderer, that would explain how he. <laughs> to the double event <laughs> the, the last thing you want with that giant balloon is a load of knives hanging around that's right it would ruin it it shows how brave he was <laughs> uh, we skip from the newspaper to Lewis Collins who is dressed like Kid Creole on the coconuts he is all the way through this he is he reminded me of a very sexually dangerous Michael Palin very much so Lewis Collins is one of those people who slightly passed me by I was too young for the professionals yeah when I think of the professionals I actually picture Keith Allen in the bullshitters mm-hmm. and I have never understood the appeal of Lewis Collins until I watched this he is sex on a fucking stick I was aware of him a great deal because my parents I've said on this podcast before they used to tape bits of films they liked and not uh-huh. bother with the rest <laughs> so we had a tape and at one point of the tape was just the end sequence from Who Dares Wins the best bit uh-huh. they did the right thing good and I watched that and I thought oh he's fucking great so when I heard years later he could have been James Bond sorry to jump back to series one but oh yeah he'd have been good my granddad once read Les Miserables in three days yeah and I said how did you read it so quickly he said oh, he said there's a lot of descriptive passages there of what rooms look like I know what rooms look like <laughs> <laughs> so he basically would read every sixth page and go that was great finished he'd have got done. through a Dan Brown book in five minutes <laughs> wouldn't he? yeah so Lewis Collins who is basically wearing a zoot suit talking about Annie not being his daughter his performance in this is fucking brilliant he's got a coldness and he's hard a lot of like victoriana Mm. the detectives will be in some way a bit soft and a bit stupid and they get him and he's like someone from cid in the victorian era they're always very much portrayed uh, as if uh, the the lestrade from the basil rathbone sherlock holmes absolutely yeah Yeah. genteel sort of gentleman and he is frightening in this he's properly good my dad when i was growing up and still is an Mm. amateur ripperologist brilliant he has issues with the lewis collins because of the hat he (laughs) is angry to this day that he's wearing a fedora which apparently someone's going to correct me on this and i'll have to tell my dad Uh but apparently they weren't around then but he's wearing a fedora 
and it bothers my dad. There, there, there are some other things to be bothered by. Yeah, yeah that's, with that's the this. starting off point. But I think the main one is that they don't call him Abilene. No. They call him Abilene yeah. the whole way through. And everyone says Abilene. Who was inbred, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a confusion of the James Maybrick, the Liverpool poison victim, exactly. being Jack the Ripper. It all ties up. It turns out it's Abilene from bread. <laughs> because the, the, the sixth, you know, there's the chemical five of the... Mm. The sixth was Lilo Lil. <laughs> So I say it's Freddie Boswell who did it. It would be so good if Carla Lane had written this and she said no one really understood bread. They thought it was a sitcom. What it was was my attempt to solve the murder of five women in 1888. She'd have it. The case was solved by a dog that was rescued. (laughs) Jack the Russell. (laughs) She loved dogs. Not like that. (laughs) Not in a way that's going to get us into trouble. Is she still alive? No. Oh, then she loved dogs in every way. <laughs> so, yeah, Lewis Collins walks into a prison. So he's looking for Abilene, uh, who's having problems with Joey. And uh, he's sleeping off in a cell. And what I love the detail here is it's, it's a proper, I'm a director, so I'm going to have this detail. There's a perfectly empty bottle of uh, whiskey on the floor. Yep. And he rolls it to Abilene, yep. who's sleeping off. And it's a lovely uh, literal metaphor. It, Kane looks great here as well. When you mm. first see him, he's properly sandy and hot. He's got really pink eyes all the way through. Did you notice? I did. Yes, he like looks... angry arseholes. <laughs> <laughs> Who did the uh, neighbour's wedding thing? He did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This actually sets it all out really early. It says when he's drunk, we're not going to have him wearing a top hat that's skew if. No. And he's not going to be sitting there going, "Ah, are we having a party?" <laughs> and instead, you just get him looking hot and flaky mm. and uh, Kane's sort of gingery hair looking sandy and sort of tired I really like the opening scene yeah. and they, they do it with such economy you say that but there's a bit where he Lewis Collins puts the paper in front of him from the star yeah. saying have police lost control and Kane stands up and goes George get me my razor <laughs> he does. he's instantly sober yeah. because there's one thing he can't stand it's yeah. fake news <laughs> we start in Bucks Row the first victim was it Catherine Eddowes? I can't remember the order of victims. If you know the order of victims in the Jack the Ripper murders, then you're worrying. If I'm right, then be worried about me. (laughs) Um, Bates from the Star is there to stir up more trouble. And uh, the medical examiner is a Welshman called Llewellyn. Llewellyn. He's good. He's constantly on his way somewhere. Yep. Every scene he has, he'll put on his hat and say, good day, gentlemen. It's a clever thing they do in the film where this Mm. is portrayed as a whodunit. Yeah. So you begin introducing the possible murderers and everybody who you meet in it, apart from Abilene and Godley, they tend to be doing side eyes a lot and looking nervous and wanting to get away. It's a really, really clever way of telling this story. Yeah. Basically, the body's taken away. Llewellyn gives his opinion and then they say that the next day there's going to be the inquest now Abilene and uh, Lewis Collins aren't happy about that George his name is mm. because it gives them no time to present any evidence no. already Abilene is smelling a fish smelling a fish it's like a rat a fish isn't like a rat <laughs> it kind of is it swims and stuff carries diseases <laughs> fish disease <laughs> you've seen Jaws um, so basically Abilene moves to defer the inquest to adjourn mm. it to get more evidence. So the big knobs aren't happy about that. Yeah. His boss is annoyed and tells him that he needs to bury this case quick because of the public unrest. This is very much what was going on in the 70s world of ripperology, wasn't it? Yeah. They are telling the story that became really popular in the 70s, which is there is some kind of establishment cover-up. Yeah. They do set that up quite early with Michael Caine. I don't think it comes out particularly well in this, the sense of a cover-up. No, Right until the end. The, 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 the usual story in the cover-up is that it's to do with um, the Queen's grandson. Yeah. And the, the, the usual cover-up story is that he's got someone pregnant yeah so they're killing the prostitutes to get to 
the woman who's pregnant. Yeah, and this I think that theory came out after Stephen Knight's book. Yeah, Murder by Decree is the one that goes with it. So they're sort of working from a number of different sources. They do a light on the Prince Eddie theory yeah. in here, but they quickly discount it. They discount they it. They push yeah. it to one side. It's interesting that in an, a piece where they are obviously sort of saying the establishment are rotten and it's going to be covered up by them. They don't fully pursue that line. No. That is the big conspiracy. Well, I'm guessing I'm guessing something I didn't think about at the time is that they disc- they say that Prince Albert wasn't involved mm. because he was in Scotland. That's not something I remember coming up before. And I did, they did say at the beginning of this, at the top of this, that they had access to all the yeah. pertinent files of the time. At the time, the Ripper community... <laughs> there's a community not to be involved with. Yeah, yeah. The Ripper community felt that that was just nonsense. Yeah. When they'd publicised it in the TV Times, they did a lot of stuff saying, we have solved this. We've got absolute proof and, and stuff. And people really fought against that within the Ripper community. They said, no, there isn't. And this slightly woolly thing about we have had Scotland Yard insiders mm. give us the clue to this. Part of the big sell was saying, we will tell you who the real Jack the Ripper is. Yeah. And yet this was also sort of slightly rehashed material. But that brought in the viewers. Do you know how many people watched this when it went out? I don't. How many? 14 million. Blimey. And I know, I know in the world of multi-channel TV and things, that's changed how you can get that sort of audience. But the most watched TV show of 2018 was England versus Tunisia, and that got 13.4. Well, was it the Only Fools and Horses Christmas special got 17 million? But the, I mean, you, you think of that. I mean, that, that is the benchmark for television. This was yeah. getting 14 million viewers. Yeah, it was over two nights. When you watch the... But the Blu-ray comes with two different versions. One is the, the sort of film theatrical version they put together afterwards, which yeah. I think is for home video. And then you have the other two, which are the two-parter that went out on television. Yeah. There's a bit in each one of them after about an hour I think they're about 90 minutes each. After an hour, there's a slight bit where it fades out and then comes back in. And that was originally where they put news at 10. And there was such an outcry that it was being disrupted by news at 10 that that was the reason they made to sort of go, well, news at 10 can move in the schedule. It had never been done until after this bit where people were annoyed about having this tissue of lies about Jack the Ripper interrupted. It's entertainment though, isn't it? Yeah. But then we meet Mr. Leese. Yeah. Very odd looking man. He has visions. He's like a medium clairvoyant type thing. Personal medium. Right. Queen Victoria herself. Leese tells them they need to look for a man with two faces. Mm. Simon Weston. <laughs> Sorry, that's a very cheap joke. Because um, he's had a vision about two wheels of a wagon. Two wagon wheels. Yeah, you can eat two. They're very nice. <laughs> and this, uh, this kind of like scary vision of this face all distorting. I think those visions in this are probably the least successful part of the entire production. Do you think? Mm. I quite enjoyed the monster face. I think we shouldn't have seen the visions. I think he should yeah. have explained them to us. Mm. They're also saying, by showing those visions, they're saying these visions are real. Yeah, it's true. That they exist. And actually, because Lees becomes one of the people that they suspect, yeah. you probably want to... I shouldn't really be giving notes on a 30-year-old production. Oh, he's 30, isn't it? Fucking yeah. <laughs> They did a really good job on it. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to start nitpicking. Yeah, but then we go and see Jane Seymour, who's doing a drawing for the star, which is a bit shit. The drawing's terrible. It really is, isn't it? She is also... It's a sort of funny piece in that there are no women in yeah. this. yeah. Apart some from way, the victims. Well, but in some ways that's quite good because they don't. What they don't show you is the women being murdered, hmm. and the women, when you see them, are in conversation in the pub with each other. They flesh them out ever so slightly, yeah. but they don't then sort of show them topless, murdered. There's no gratuitousness, but there are no women in this at all. No, they sort of disappear into the background. It's the men solving it and the man who's caused it. You, you barely see Jack the Ripper in this. No, he doesn't really appear. The funny thing is they brought in this character, the Jane Seymour character, Emma. Hmm to sort of go, look, there's a woman in the credits. She does nothing in this. No. She is entirely surplus to requirement. 
She does have sex with Michael Caine, though, so that's something. I imagine that's one of the things he puts on his rider. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so she does the drawing, and then this is to uh, Mr. Lease. Yeah. So he's gone to the paper, and Jane Seymour Seymour's doing the drawing. It's like one of those, um, you know, when you do a police sketch. Yeah. And Lease goes, oh, no, he had shorter hair. And she puts her hand over the hair, and the one goes, hang on a minute, that looks like the famous actor in the West End who's doing Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Nothing makes it harder to recognise an actor than no. if you add two inches of hair. That's right. To the back of their head. It's the Clark Kent theory again, <laughs> with hair. Uh, and then uh, Abilene, he's basically working in a police station in Whitechapel. Worth saying, though, every single time they cut to a new location, the set dresser has gone absolutely balls out on this. Yeah. Every desk has 30 things on it. I think when they go to visit Dr. Gull, there are thousands of things in that room yeah. that set dressing is astonishing where did they film this a lot of it on location so there are places outside you can see outside spitalfields market yeah you see verde and co which was there until really recently it was a deli that was bought by the novelist jeanette winterson but they take it down a couple of the roads off spitalfields market some of it was set on pinewood i think as well right but you can't tell what no. is set and what is Definitely real. Not. The opening scene as well is a perfect example of this. A lot of people, when they're doing period stuff, they don't populate it enough. No. And in this, they have hundreds of extras. It's worth saying the reason it became what it became from the original rushes that had Barry Foster in it. Mm. The script had got around and I think CBS in America yes. had seen the script and they said, halt production on this. We would like to get involved. They put it out in the States as well. It did phenomenal business in the States. So you get 14 million watching it here. In the States, it's also a massive, huge critical hit. Kane is, he gets a Golden Globe for it. He does, I think, yeah. And they also get a Golden Globe for hairstyling. Why not? Which is weird. And Just they, for Lewis Collins. <laughs> with CBS Investment, with Thames, who are the owners of Euston Films, yeah. I think they, they spent 14 million on it. Wow. And of that, Kane, I think, got a million pounds Did for he? doing this. Yeah. Because this is the, uh, there's an interview you sent me the other day. Yeah. Which was pretty horrible. <laughs> Uh, but he says it's the first telly he's done in 20 years because he refused to do telly. So he, he did this and then he did Jekyll and Hyde a couple of years later, but he hasn't done any telly since. It's noticeable that he did it with the same director. Jekyll and Hyde and this, uh, they're both directed by David Wicks. Mm. He was the writer as well mm. uh, with a guy called Derek Marlowe. And Derek Marlowe didn't do a lot of stuff, but he wrote a film called A Dandy in Aspic, which I only know really because I was a huge comedy fan. And Peter Cook, it was one of Peter Cook's few films that he's in. Yeah, David Wicks had a reputation. He'd done a lot of things like The Sweeney. And Kane talks about him as being one of the great directors. And the reason he talks about him as being a great director is he says he's the nicest, fastest director I've worked for and the master of filming Victorian London. The key word there is fastest. Yeah, I was say, yeah. Have you seen what um, Jane Seymour said about Michael Caine in this film? No. I'd been warned that Michael is tough on actors and actresses unless they know their lines and are very professional, which mostly I was. But they didn't tell me he literally liked to do one take and then go and have lunch with his wife, which is basically what happened. So you'd show up and unless the microphone landed on you or the camera bumped onto you or he messed up, which he never did, that was it it was one take and you're on to the next so what you see here is Kane is coming back to do TV but he just wants it to be like the films yeah. which is they go it's one go and then we're off and that seems to be the, the real power of Euston Films who are used to doing location shooting the other rule they had Euston Films was no rehearsal so you can suddenly see why Kane is doing this. It's not just that he's coming back to TV because he wants to. He's coming back because there's a director who says, you will get to do it once. And he's like, that is perfect. And I'll get a million quid. And a million quid. Yeah. That little clip is, is of a, 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 a Thames sort of reporter doing yeah. an interview with him. And she sort of says, so what's it about? And he says, oh, it's about uh, Jack the Ripper. And then her second question is, 
how much money are you making on this? And he doesn't sort of go, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> he gives her a nice answer. He sort of goes, yeah. oh, it's very good. A lot. Yeah. A lot than, he says a lot more than I did last time I was on telly. <laughs> yeah. Which is a good answer. He gets a million. And, and honestly, I think he deserves it. I've seen quite a lot of Michael Caine films. Sometimes he's very good. Sometimes he's very bad. At this point in 1988, by and large, he's quite bad. He's lazy and he's not working very hard. No. And I don't think he's that respected. And in this... He does a great job. This is just after Jaws of Revenge. Is it? Yeah. Bloody hell. I mean, that's a difference. Jaws of Revenge is 87. Probably done it just after. Jesus Christ. But he's turning up here. He's got his working shoes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not bad in this. He's brilliant. There are the, the points where he lapses into that quiet, 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 loud, loud, loud. The loud is really annoying. It works really well at the end, though. Yeah, yeah. that's a proper bit where he's railing against the conspiracy that is mm. not letting them nail the, the, the bad guy. Yeah. I think that is, that is thrilling. There is a couple of bits as well where he does the Michael Caine smile. Yeah. Where he puts on his, you know, full kilowatt gnashes and he's charming and it just seems slightly out of place. Mm. But other than that, he does this great. The other thing he does, he's so unselfish in this. He's not got a big bravara part. No. Reviewer part is it? I can't remember. But yeah. he's not got a show-stealing part. He's a member of an ensemble. Everyone else is so good that he just becomes better by being surrounded by these people who are really, really decent, proper professionals. Yeah, so they, the, the Whitechapel lot, they don't want any of this fuss. They just no. want to get it done. So they bring in their eight usual suspects. Yep. And one midget. <laughs> uh, who they bring in every time there's a murder. Because <laughs> um, they all come in and one of them confesses on the spot because they get bread and soup. Yeah. They're all homeless. So George and Abilene leave laughing. Mm. Then George goes to the pub to speak to some prostitutes. Yep. But Michael, sorry, Abilene, goes to the murder scene because he's got a theory. And this is brilliant, right? He goes to the murder scene and he looks around and there's windows everywhere. And he's thinking, he's thinking to himself, this can't be right. So he gets some coins and he drops them on the floor. Mm. And who comes to the window? A Jewish bloke. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is out of order. Yeah. Well, they do mention at one point, they're talking about Whitechapel. Yeah. And the line is, it's a jungle down there. Poles, French, Jews. Again, it's sort of a bold thing. I think weirdly, in 88, that would have seemed more like a historical throwback. Yeah. Now, it seems like the front page of a newspaper. Or a Labour campaign video. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he throws some uh, coins on the floor. George wanders into a Wild West bar fight. Yep. Which is a bit weird. It's not really necessary, is it? No. With the amount of extras they've got and the set dressing they've done, it looks quite authentic. But yeah, that, again, it's an annoying thing. The reality is, if you go to any pub in Bethnal Green, probably even back then, there wouldn't have been a lot of fighting. It's too much of a cliché. You might Very as well have had a guy playing piano. Well, he was playing piano. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, they, they did do a Wild West. But basically, he meets um, the pimp of Mary Kelly and a few other prostitutes. Yeah. Gets into a row with him. And it turns out this pimp is one of uh, Abilene's who was waiting outside. He's uh, Snouts. That's right. Worth mentioning, the, the only real bum note in uh, the casting here is Lisette Anthony, who plays Mary Kelly. Yeah. And she was, I think she was quite big at this point she was doing three up two down the yeah. itv sitcom uh, bbc uh, bbc was it elphic i noticed it was remade in america and because americans like to do everything better it was called five up two down oh. i think the, the basic plot is it's her dad and his mum live in the basement yep they, of a they, married they're couple. like housemates and so the three are the couple and their child yeah and the two down are their parents and she's very posh and he's michael elphick yeah <laughs> I, I have nightmares about michael elphick living in my basement I would. What's the clanking noise? Especially before he died when he looked like a balloon. 
Where's all our red wine gone? So Abilene uh, reveals to George that he's been to the scene and people would have heard if there was a horrible murder going on. He's proving to George that that murder can't have happened at that scene. Yeah. But this is the early germs of it. We don't really go into it right now. Uh, and then you get Jane Seymour and the reporter Bates take Lease to see Jekyll and Hyde because he hasn't yeah. seen it. And then a carriage pulls up and you get this line. Ah, Prince Albert Victor, Duke of Clarence and Avondale and the future King of England. <laughs> they might as well be pointing as they say it. <laughs> or him holding up like a little sign and pointing at it. Yeah. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> so he goes to see Jekyll and Hyde and he gets very uncomfortable because the, the transformation happens on stage. And this actually did happen. There was an actor, mm. Mansfield, I think his name was. Richard Mansfield. This is genuinely did happen. He went to the West End during the Jack Ripper murders. Obviously nothing to do with him. But he was one of the first actors to incorporate makeup and transformations. Yeah. Probably not to the extent they do it in this with all the pumping and all the stuff. And, and that's a shame in a way because I think, mm. you know, they are going for historical accuracy. It would yeah. have been good to recreate that. I love the Jack the Ripper industry. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of Jack the Ripper per se, but I love the fact that there are these mental theories. Everything is just up for grabs. That particular time in Britain, which is done so well in From Hell, uh, the Alan Moore version of the, of the Ripper case. Yeah, yeah. Not the film, no. but the comic book. Comic book, yeah. They tie in all of this strange thing. So you've got this tiny area of London, in East London, and you've got, you know, the Elephant Man mm. is being portrayed at the same time as you've got Jack the Ripper murders going on. In the West End, you've got the debut of Jekyll and Hyde and this mm. performance that people are fainting at. Yeah. Again, this is a genuine fact that people believe Richard Mansfield must be the Ripper because he was so convincing as a monster on stage. They couldn't understand that he could be that convincing and not actually be a monster. So, again, if they'd have just done it properly, I'd, I'd like to see it. In this, they do a lot of cutaways and it comes back and he's got more sort of prosthetics on yeah. that are bubbling away. Yeah. But really good performance mm. by the guy... Uh, Armand Asante. Armand Asante, who's brought in by uh, CBS, yes. an American, still alive, mm. doing lots of sort of I am a swarthy Hispanic sinister man. Uh, he also was nominated, I think, for a Golden Globe. Yeah, a he's great, good, great performance. Yes. A really good performance. A funny thing about, I suppose, The Times as well, that sort of 80s American rep, where he comes in and it's a little bit like they've dropped De Niro into this thing with a load of British character actors. Mm. And his performance is so much more understated and offhand than everyone else's that it's absolutely magnetising. Yeah. Really good performance. Although when he does turn into Mr Hyde he does look like Aaron Banks. <laughs> yes he does. <laughs> which is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a theory uh, my dad told me once in one of the books he read that someone speculated that it was the elephant man Jack the Ripper. Yes. Which I'd like to have seen him running around not being spotted <laughs> and being able to hold a knife. So what did the suspect look like? <laughs> he sort of looked like a massive scrotum on legs. <laughs> Oh, man, if only we could work out who it was. George, go and find out where Merrick was on the night of the murders. <laughs> I'm sitting here making a jigsaw. You, you've all been so very dead. <laughs> I must complete my work. Oh, you mean that house made out of matchsticks? <laughs> no, murdering prostitutes. <laughs> are, you, are you doing business? I'm going to tell you, love, it's going to cost more than the usual. <laughs> I'm going to need a pulley system to get off and off of you. <laughs> Plus, he couldn't lie down. There's a great Frank Skinner joke about, mm. did you know the elephant man had perfectly formed genitals? Unfortunately, they were on his head. <laughs> also, he didn't look anything like an elephant. No, he didn't. And he didn't. He forgot things quite often. Well, the problem is, he didn't look like anything. No. So, I mean, you might as well say, I mean, what, you know, the lump man. Yeah. It's not as catchy. No. Uh, Joseph Merrick. Yep. Do you know what his first job was I after do, he developed on, those deformities? On. He was a door-to-door salesman. Uh, <laughs> I, would you like to buy some fear? 
He'd have been good for that magazine that was out in the 90s that was all weird stuff. Like, was it... Bizarre. Bizarre. He'd have yeah. been good delivering that. That had in the back, do you remember the bit that you had to actually unseal? Was it called Rotten? Oh, I think that was an early website, was wasn't it? it? Yeah. yeah. The fact that you could publish that, this thing that you opened, and you went, oh, good, now I can I can see 32 pages of corpses by roadsides. Also, you had that was the first time I saw the picture of the man who was having sex with a chicken when a rock fell on him. Oh, I remember that from the Fortean Times. <laughs> yeah. I remember showing my granddad that, and my granddad laughing for about three days. <laughs> Absolutely magic. Imagine how his kids must feel, <laughs> if he's got any kids. Eggs. Eggs. <laughs> all eggs. All eggs stem from that sexual the encounter. The chicken died as well, though. That's the tragedy. It is a tragedy. It's like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. <laughs> Being bummed by a bloke and going, well, this day's not going to get any worse. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Abilene speaks to Lise about the actor, uh, and he nearly drinks some booze. Mm. He says, no, don't let the bastards get you down. And then he goes to speak to an expert about madness. Not mm. the band. <laughs> <laughs> William Gull, the Queen's personal physician. So everyone's related to the Queen in this. Goes all the way up to the very top. Does. He says, what was the story behind Baggy Trousers, <laughs> William Gull? No, uh, Gull confirms that a man can be mad in breaking news. Yep. <laughs> they didn't know that before the Jack the Ripper. <laughs> That's actually worth saying that right at the end, Gull's son-in-law, Ackland, yeah. who is one of the people they very much put in the frame. Yeah. And they really sort of sell the fact that it's him yeah. in a swerve. Right at the end, Ackland has a big to-do with Abilene, where they go back and forth. And he wants Ackland, for some reason, to admit that Gull is mad. And he does. Well, that's fucking obvious. Yeah. Because he's cut up a load of women and taken their insides out. Spoiler alert. I don't know quite what we're building to there. That didn't come as a surprise to me. Not really. No. When no. he breaks down and goes, I'll admit he's mad. Oh, well, fucking whoop de do. If he was a werewolf, <laughs> that would be a twist. <laughs> it's a really good performance as Gull. Because yeah. he has a hard job. He has to undersell the fact that he's going to be the murderer at the end. And so he really has to sort of do this in a way where he's avuncular and friendly. And he absolutely pulls that off. Yeah. I watched it with my wife and I thought she knew who it was going to be and she didn't and she did not get gulled. She's normally absolutely all over that. That's testament again to the performance, the quality of the performance in this. Yeah. Absolutely balls out good. And he died shortly after this as well, Ray McAnally. Sick victim. Yeah. Yeah. Will Jack the Ripper not stop? (laughs) He won't. Um, So Abilene then goes to see Jekyll and Hyde to see for himself what everyone's... Mm. And he gets terrified because he knows... In just a couple of years, he'll be playing that part. <laughs> so Abilene and Jane Seymour meet again, and um, they've got a history. But Abilene and Lise demand to know how an actor does acting. <laughs> they force their way into the actor's dressing room, yeah. and he basically grabs him by the lapels and goes, Why? What is acting? <laughs> Puts in his video, yeah. Michael Caine on acting. <laughs> the most important thing is grabbing an actor and screaming at him, how do you do it? Don't blink. Once you know the don't blink thing as well, I watched the whole of this. Not once. No. Not a blink. Maybe that's why he's got such weird pissy eyes in this. Yeah. They're just like fucking skinned onions. Yeah. And, and he shouts at him and his alibi is okay. The actor. And Abilene's head gets turned by Jane Seymour. See what we're going to. And then there's another murder. Mm. Not right then. I mean later. Uh, uh, in Hanbury Street. And uh, George goes back to hassle the actor. Because yeah. they're so convinced it's him. Now what I'm going to say is this actor is an obsession he is basically Abilene's Weirside Jack. 
Because he takes the investigation into a completely different direction. He does. He becomes obsessed with this actor. You won't catch me, Jack. Yeah. I see you're having a lot of trouble catching me, George. <laughs> he was called George as well, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Hanbury Street, where the murder took place. One of the houses that backed on to the murder site is the childhood house of Bud Flanagan. Wow. And in his autobiography, he remembers people paying to go up to their top floor window to look out onto the murder scene. Wow. Really bizarre that Bud Flanagan was tangentially related to the Jack the Ripper murders. Did he do it? No. I tell you, I tell you though, do you know what it's like? He was underneath the arches. Do you arches. remember the Camden Ripper? Yes. His first victim was discovered in bin bags waiting to be taken away yeah. by Dappy from Endubs. No way. Absolutely. Yeah, he is small. our generation's Bud Flanagan. Small world, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Uh, so yeah, there's another murder in Hanbury Street. By the way, if you watch the um, James Mason film, The London Nobody Knows, mm. he goes to Hanbury Street and walks around in the garden. Oh, does he? He was still there in 1969. Cool, blimey. I think some of the Ripper sites were there until the 80s. Yeah. Do you think they... I think they should have been kept in some way. I think they should. I don't know, but then it's sort of a bit gruesome. They kept down Frank's house. They knocked down Fred West Cromwell Street. They did. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Ridlington Place. Ridlington Place, yeah. yeah. They didn't knock down Dennis Nielsen's houses because no. one of them's in Crouch End and it's quite expensive. One of the houses I'm obsessed with when I see it come up on Right Move. Right. My cousin once lived in that house. Wow. And she was taken around by an estate agent and she said, why is this one significantly cheaper than anything else? And he went, because it was Dennis Nielsen's murder house. <laughs> really pleased. Come on down. She was financially strapped and she was like, oh, I'll have to live there. But when it goes up now, mm. it always has a thing at the bottom that says buyers are reminded it is their obligation to do a thorough search of any property that they are thinking of buying. And that's their way of saying someone boiled heads in here. Mm. And if you find out about it, well, it's your fucking bad luck. You've got an interesting fact about Dennis Nielsen, haven't you? About his dog. Oh, bleep. Yeah. Yeah, they put it down. <laughs> he was very upset when they put down Bleep. What did Bleep do? Did he lure the men in? Well, I mean, everyone likes a dog. They do. I think they have a thing of going, do you know what? This dog, just out of convenience, he must have been given titbits. Yeah. And this dog can no longer be allowed to live. He watched, and yet he did nothing. <laughs> He's got a taste for human flesh. They probably found him chewing on a fem- uh, fe- oh, what's he called? A, fe- a femur? Thank you. For some reason, it, even though there were more murders done at the house in Wilsdon... Not nobody, more murders. No. no <laughs> nobody talks about that house. That is not on the sort of murder house. It's not as sexy as the top floor one, though, is it? No, there's something about that, about living in a... Fl- I mean, I don't want to give props to Dennis Nielsen. No, but, he's just died. But hell of a Have job. Have some taste, for God's sake. <laughs> hell of a job to do that. What, getting him down from the top floor? Just rendering everything. Yeah. You know, yeah. have you ever tried to make pasta in a one-bedroom flat? It's awful, isn't it? Oh, it's nightmarish. Well, did he have an electric hob or was it a gas hob? I think it was electric. See, that's even worse. Isn't they t- it They terrible? take ages to hold <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> you know, it's too easy to judge Dennis Nielsen. It but is. when you know the facts, you realise the man had a struggle of his own. We should let the dust settle on this one. <laughs> The nights will soon be drawing in again, and as the barbecues and after-work drinks in the sunshine peter out, you might find yourself at home accidentally watching The One Show. But fear not, you don't have to, because the podcast that takes the bullet for you is back for Series 2. Last season, we marvelled at a film in which Chris Akabusi investigated baby farming. We were astounded by Tommy Steele's anecdotes. 
and suddenly I see these two bodies. Oh, oh dear me. And we accidentally engineered the resignation of regular one-show presenter Jay Rayner. You have to understand that I'm on this so that I can never be on the show ever again. Especially your resignation Because you can't, yeah, you can't leave. Nobody so leaves the, the family. family. <laughs> so who knows what will happen this time. Find out as the show that analyses a TV show that doesn't warrant analysing returns. It's The The One Show Show, back in September. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Joel Morris. I'm Jason Hazley. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. Martin's voice really jumped up Just onto emerged. my back <laughs> and sneaked round to the side of my neck and went down my throat and then came out again. And suddenly, there he was. I think I'm the only scaffolder or ex-scaffolder to have been on a BAFTA-type stage. There's more money in faces. There's more money in faces, but there's no control... That's what I like. I you like can't control. control face. I can't control <laughs> where I put my face. And Rory sort of pitched to James, can the can flute be the last word? Because I think that's the funniest mm. word to end on. And James went, I know it is, and that's why I don't want it to be at the end. <laughs> But yep. there's this idea that there's a limited amount of space for funny. It's like when men think they have to go out with someone who's not funny. <laughs> as if, like, but if she's funny, what'll I do? You're like, you'll both laugh! <laughs> you will both have a laugh! Anyway, uh, Abilene demands a second opinion. Llewellyn doesn't like that very no. much. Because he thinks that Llewellyn is hiding something. Yeah. Because he, on the first case was unsure about whether she was cut in the stomach or not. Yeah. she was. So he, fe- he feels like maybe he's hiding something. So Abilene goes to see Jane Seymour and seduces her. Yep. He locks the door. He does. Goes into her room and then lets her beautiful hair down that looks a bit like a wig. She's, she is absolutely surplus to requirement in yeah. this. I, I don't know whether it's supposed to humanise 
Abilene, it doesn't really. No. I mean, she's just got no role in this. I, it was part of that era where they felt like you couldn't have a detective without knowing who he's shagging. I think it's the 80s. Yeah. And you don't want people saying, I was enjoying this, but now I'm wondering if he's homosexual. Mm. And I will not watch homosexuals on television. He could be bisexual, though. That opens up another. I want to have a moment in this where he goes into his thought palace, like Sherlock Holmes, but to do it, he has to bum Lewis Collins. <laughs> I don't think you even need to be bisexual to want to have sex with Lewis Collins That's in this. That's true. He does some great scouse sarcasm in this. He later does. On. Really good. About, I like the one who thinks he's been caught by a vulture. Underplays it as well because that line could be a hammy line. Yeah. And he just does it so well. He does. He must, he must slightly have looked back on this and gone, I don't understand why this was such a hit on both sides of the Atlantic, why this didn't make me a megastar. So it wasn't long after this he started doing Cluedo as, uh, who was he, Colonel... Sanders <laughs> in the kitchen with a bucket. <laughs> so Colonel, I can't remember which one he was. Colonel Mustard. They did a TV show of Cluedo in the uh, early nineties. Do you remember? I think it was Vaguely. one of Carlton's first shows. But yeah, they did a Cluedo where you'd have different actors every episode, I think, or every series. It was like a murder mystery weekend, but on telly. I mean, is this the point where ITV became shit? Yeah. Lewis, Lewis Collins tried out for Bond, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did. What What went wrong? Cub Cubbery. Cubby Rockley <laughs> said that he was too um, forceful and too arrogant. Would he have replaced what it Pierce o- Brosnan? It would have been Octopussy. Really? Yeah, because Roger, uh, after, uh, sorry to talk about Bond, everybody, but after a certain point, Roger was only signing on one film at a time. And he was always like, oh, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. They always auditioned other people. Sam Neill had one before Dalton and um, J.R., what's his name? J.R. Tolkien. J.R. Tolkien. <laughs> he went for Never Say Never Again. Mm. James Brolin. Uh-huh. He screen tested around this time as well. Right. But Lewis Collins didn't get a screen test. He just had a chat. Uh, that seems like a missed opportunity. But we meet George Lusk at this point, who again was a real person. Yeah. He was the leader of the Whitechapel Vigilante Committee. Yeah, they take some liberties with the real George Lusk. They do. In this. He, he, was just, like this. he was essentially just a neighbourhood watch concerned citizen. He's basically leave.eu. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. They make He's really it, angry about foreigners. There's a funny sort of... Again, this is... 88 is the, the height of Thatcherism. Hmm. And there's a funny thing here where they go, if he's a left-winger, he's probably also capable of murdering women. They make it very clear early on that he's a brooding, sinister... Socialist. Socialist. Going on about Marx. Yeah. Oh. Even wearing Corbyn's hat. And yeah. his glasses that he never fucking takes off. Apparently, someone told me, they were his own glasses, the actor's own glasses, because uh-huh. he wears them in For Your Eyes Only as well. He does, which yeah. Which is ironic, For Your Eyes Only. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and he, when he puts on, he goes to read a letter and he puts them on, and I thought, you could wear another pair of glasses that aren't the exact same ones you wore in... You should think, with the amount they've spent on all of the set dressing, that they wouldn't go, can you bring your own glasses? Yeah. Interesting interesting character actor, that guy. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? It's is it Michael Gotthard? Gotthard, yes. Yeah. Gotthard, isn't it? Which is Never... like Dirk Diggler kind of name, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. He was really, really famous for his voice. He had a really deep, dark voice, which he uses a lot here. And it seems odd that they put him in for your eyes only, and he's yeah. a silent character. Doesn't say anything. He had a spectacularly weird start to his career. It was an art house darling mm. did a lot of lunchtime theater we complain about the there's no money in it he did a, a film which you can get on the bfi flip side dvds called herodotus which is about someone who is going to commit suicide and then they get an ad agency to try and capitalize on their suicide but the ad agency are basically a bunch of pricks and start undercutting his sacrifice for their own benefit it sounds great it's one of those films that it has five star reviews <laughs> on amazon from people who are french and german yeah. and all the british people go boring there's a clip it's a young helen mirren doing Doing a very, very long art house dancey strip tease nice. where she looks absolutely off the hook. 
But Michael Gotthard, he ended up committing suicide say, yeah. in 92, suffered with depression for a long time. He seemed to hate the world of acting. Mm. He found himself in the wrong job in some ways. But he's good in this. He does it well. Uh, but he's whipping up trouble. Then Lease, he's been warned about maybe not going on about this coach that he's seen. Yeah. And then he gets run over. No, this vision that he's had, sorry. Yeah. And then he gets run down by a coach. And then when he gets back to the police station, he draws a picture of it. And uh, it's got a royal seal on it. It does, the royal crest. Yeah. And then we find out that there's a rumour going around that Albert Victor has been seen in Whitechapel. So Lusk then storms in to see Abilene and shouts at him, and Abilene shouts at him back. Yeah. So that's very interesting. Yeah. Again, what we're doing here is we're setting up there's another suspect. This, and honestly, honestly, the script in this doesn't put a foot wrong. No. It has perfect pacing, this, as they begin to introduce new suspects without ever getting rid of the old ones. It's a really hard trick to do. And that brilliant thing of... of, Because you don't have things like the murders, you don't get to see Jack the Ripper, you don't get to see what people are seeing in their last moments. It's like being a member of the police force. Yeah, because when you turn up, they're already dead. Yeah. You don't see... Well, apart from one instance, but you don't really see anything. And you begin meeting these people and going, right, what's your game? And you begin chipping away and you find out a little bit more each time. A very, very difficult thing to get right in a film like this especially Mm. something of three hours but what they start doing is they never discount anyone and that's a little bit like working with Abilene you never discount anyone they're sitting there on the back burner new things come to light new suspects and it's just building up and up and up and up cleverly done and then there's the inquest for the last victim the Annie Chapman in the Hanbury Street and my favourite bit about that is the guy doing the inquest says could all children be removed please because we're going to get some horrible stuff and it's like who the fuck brings kids to a murder inquest <laughs> again I think that's probably historically accurate do you think I think so yeah Okay. I think it's, it's you know the biggest show in town I think that's a, again a, just a nice touch was Peppa Pig on after Peppa Pig was the <laughs> Jack the Ripper's sixth victim yeah but as a pig I mean you know it was just eaten yeah fried him up with a bit of <laughs> wouldn't you yeah uh, so uh, we then get the Dear Boss letter, which is then received at the star. And that's where the, the name Jack the Ripper first appears mm. at the end of the Dear Boss letter. Now, at this point, I think in, in real life, they didn't particularly believe that this letter was genuine. By and large, people think it was written by a journalist. There, there is, I think there's only one letter which is believed to be from the murderer, and yeah. that's the famous from hell letter. That's from the kidney. And it came with a kidney, a, a ginny kidney that matches up to the victim by the length of, I think, the renal artery. Yeah. There was one inch on that, two inches in the corpse, and the renal artery is three inches in length. So they could pretty much match it up as best you could in the Victorian times. More recently, Patricia Cornwell and Bruce Robinson, as she ruined her career with her... Jack the Ripper book. She, she absolutely it ruined it. She said it was the artist Walter Sickert. Yeah. And Bruce Robinson then wrote They All Love Jack. I saw him do a talk with um, Will Self. And Will Self opened it up by saying, you've written this book about Jack the Ripper. At what point did you realise that you've gone mad? And I think both of them came to the conclusion the majority of these letters written and sent to the press and the police are actually real. And they all come from the Ripper. And it just is such a false positive. Mm. Whoever came up, some journalist presumably, who came up with the name Jack the Ripper, I find it incredible that they didn't boast about that at some point. Yeah. Because you'd go, I came up with the most famous name in the last 150 years of human history, maybe with the exception of Mickey Mouse. Yeah. I find it weird that no one came forward and said, that was me. Mm. But they didn't seem to. The, the letters is one of the most exciting things about the Ripper because yeah. the other thing it shows is, like Wearside Jack, 
aren't people, by and large, fucking crazy? Mm. Aren't they mad? Yeah. Although this letter, the first one, does mention that on the next one he will clip the ears, which is something they held back at the last inquest. Yes. Or only the murder out there. That could have been a coincidence, but... That sort of... The, the madness of pulling out what is real and what isn't. You know, there's, there's a really famous sort of thing written by Mark Twain, which is called, uh, Is Shakespeare Dead? Something along those lines, or Shakespeare is Dead. And he sets out every single proper, known, proved fact that we know about William Shakespeare. And it basically covers a single side of A4. That's all we know about Shakespeare. At no point does it mention he ever wrote plays. And he says everything that's come after this is, he says it's an Eiffel Tower of conjecture and assumption and guesswork. And that you can really see with the Jack the Ripper stuff. Guesswork, thoughts, theories, and none of it is real. And even those letters that were there at the time, most of them are junk. But the next thing that happens is the double event. Yeah. This is the this is the one that Ripperologists love because you've got two amazing aspects to it. Sorry to talk about murder in that sense, but it is. Mm. The first one, he was clearly disturbed. Yeah. I, I don't mean that in a mental <laughs> yeah. sense because he clearly was. Yeah. But he killed a woman in a yard and just as someone came in with a horse and cart, found the body, people believe, whether it's true or not, that he potentially was hiding behind the door. Yeah. Because the man came in, saw the body, then ran off to raise an alarm. Now, what he then did is he moved off to Mitre Square, which is quite a distance, I believe. It is, yeah. Yeah, and then did another one. But this one was properly gruesome. It was. In the in this drama, they introduced the idea that he could only have done it by having a coach. Yeah, because they run the, the yeah. uh, route. And it takes him a while. Now, that does make sense, because he'd have been covered in blood, running from, if it is a he running from one location to the other. But the second one, another thing that's interesting about the second one, I remember from my dad telling me years ago, is that there was a policeman who was doing a, a route, you know, uh-huh. a walking route. And I think he was, he'd walked one, one end and then come back. And when he walked to one end, there was nothing there. When he came back, she was there. Yes. And obviously there's no lights there. It's pitch black. I mean, the street lights in those days were gas lamps. So they were yeah. nothing. And he did this horrible work, taking her kidney. The question is, I, I suppose they are connected, aren't they? People yeah. connect the two. There are a huge amount of murders happening in Whitechapel at this time yeah. of exactly the same members of society, the sex workers. They are being murdered left and right. Yeah, we should say there were more before. There were more before, ones. there were more after, yeah. and there were more during. Hmm. But it's just that people have decided not to put them in what's known as the canonical five. Yeah. There's a lot of sort of debate about whether it's five or six, but... If you look at all the murders that have happened there, this isn't just there's one person going round murdering prostitutes. Hmm. There are men going out and murdering women. Yeah. And they aren't part of the Jack the Ripper mythos. Now, there's a possibility, of course, that the person found in uh, the, the first victim is murdered by someone entirely unrelated. Yes. But conflating it puts those things in like, well, you could only get there in a carriage. Well, that's if it's the same guy. Yeah. This is the, the problem with Ripperology is there's a lot of theories as to what happens. You can just say anything you like, and saying anything you like means that you're open to accuse anyone and anything of this horrible crime. It's an unsolvable crime. Yeah. It's absolutely unsolvable. Isn't this the night also they find the piece of dress that he'd used to wipe the knife with? Yes. And the graffiti on the wall. Yeah, the graffiti. The, so it's a bit of a chaotic evening. The Jews are the men who will not be blamed for nothing. Yes, right. But Jews are spelled J-U-W-E-S. Which is said to be a Masonic yes i think and i might be entirely wrong here it's to do with jubilom 
who is some kind of Masonic deity. It's wiped off in real life because of the fear that the locals will then turn against the Jewish community. Which they already kind of were anyway. Yeah. Because there was one who said they saw someone wearing a leather apron. And there were lots of Polish Jews who wore leather aprons. Uh, the two probably, uh, and, and this is becoming Jack the Ripper cast, which Sorry. I think I yeah. think secretly this is what people want to hear. Yeah. Um, the two main suspects who are mentioned again and again, who I think are probably the most likely candidates, are both Polish Jews. Yeah. And they are local people who end up in asylums and they are clearly psychopathic and they are mad. And I think the taking away of that graffiti is to do with the fact that I think the police are sort of going, the Ripper is someone from the Jewish community. It's, it's an odd thing to think of Victorians being aware of anti-Semitism, but I think they probably were. The, the, one of the big things as well that breaks down about Jack the Ripper and, and the conspiracies they have about it being someone aristocratic is you would have been noticed walking through Whitechapel if you were posh. Yeah. The people who can get through Whitechapel are the people who live there. And the people who live there, we know this from sort of serial killing. It's people who live within a certain radius of those crimes taking place. If you lived in the West End of London, why go to the East End all the time? You can go to Paddington and Marlborough were full of prostitutes at this period of, of, of time. There's no reason to keep going back to this place where the heat is on, unless that's where you're from. And also, you say that because the community don't notice things. Like when Ed Gein used to go shopping wearing a lady's skin, <laughs> no one batted an eyelid, did they? That's just Because Ed. he'd taken their eyes away. <laughs> Uh, so this, at this point a second net is received so then they go back to lease because that's the only fucking suspect they seem to have <laughs> yeah. and test his handwriting yep i don't know why i've been called here to write about this coach but okay mm. and they look and they say no it's not and then we get jane seymour again and he basically says to her don't be alone with mansfield but every time there's a close-up of her it's like super glossy it is isn't it there's a couple of close-ups of Kane where they slightly vaseline the lens yeah a couple of people there, there are a, a, a couple of shots where you can really see quite cakey makeup mm. and Kane has got a couple of cakey makeup shots the third letter is then received which is enclosed this is the lusk letter and that has got the kidney enclosed so everybody's freaking out and bates has put out the rumor the guy from the star about albert victor so that at this point lusk is whipping up the vigilantes going on about marx and the revolution george and Abilene, they then walk the crime scenes we talked earlier they check the facts and um, then he strangles Lewis Collins. <laughs> he does. There's a slight sense there that they're going, this has been quite wordy so far. Mm. We're giving a lot of information. Let's have a little bit of a scene where someone gets strangled. We can have a laugh about it. Yeah. It's a sort of a, a palate cleanser. Yeah. And then they go, they can only get to these two places by bloody coach. By bloody coach. And George goes, you have bloody cracked it. <laughs> it's a coach. And they start shaking each other's hands and going, yeah. They do. Kane like, doing his Kane smile. You haven't solved anything yet. You <laughs> just thought of that. It's a bit like going, they must have come here on bus. Yeah. And you go, right, let's go on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Case closed. <laughs> the bus did it. It's like the referendum. <laughs> um, so then the vigilantes, they, they storm the police station and, and uh, demand the commissioner resign. Losers, he's already resigned. So exactly. He's already going the, the Lewis Collins says if he did it by coach they'd stop the coach because there'd be blood everywhere they'd yeah. run a risk not if the coach has got a royal seal exciting no one stops a royal seal coach and then uh, Lise goes full Derek Akora. he starts going <laughs> he has another vision get away from me <laughs> yeah so, so George and Abilene then get all the information from the files and they check out the Prince Albert Victor corner yeah. As it were. And they find out that he was in Scotland for 10 weeks. So he was nowhere near Whitechapel at any point. So again, they're, yay! This, this again, one of, the, one of the big sort of failings of the theory that it was related to, to a syphilitic royal. Mm. Of course, it doesn't 
cut dead the idea that he had had this clandestine marriage and the reason that the women were murdered is they were witnesses to that marriage to a commoner and uh, had to be wiped out by the state. He did actually have syphilis, didn't he? I think so. He died... Did he die insane? Yes. I mean, one of the earliest Ripper things... I was reading a bit about the history of this sort of Ripperology, mm. but early stories are very much about a, um, a, a doctor whose son contracted syphilis and died so the father who is a a doctor goes around murdering those who caused his son's death so that has actually been in place since the 20s it's only in the 60s they bring in the royal connection have you seen murder by decree no oh you should watch that that's the Mm -hmm. best one it's brilliant because it's jack the ripper being sold by Sherlock Holmes. Really? Christopher Plummer's Sherlock Holmes. Ah. James Mason's Dr. Watson. You, you know, Conan Doyle was fascinated with the Ripper case. Yes. He's the one who put forward the Jill the Ripper theory, mm. that it may have been a woman or a midwife. Midwife, yeah. So they would be able to pass through the streets with blood and not be questioned. Yeah. Although, again, nobody ever came forward and said, yes, I saw a midwife covered in blood. She did have a royal seal on her. <laughs> so it's fine. So then we, we see a bit with Mary Kelly. Mary Kelly. This is Lisette Anthony, who she can't do the Irish accent. It's better than Heather Graham, though. I mean, if you really want a woman to do a convincing Irish accent, Ireland now has women. Yeah. And you could get one of them, yeah. and they would come in and be able to deliver that. Yeah. Lisette Anthony, at times, goes a little bit Pakistani. Yep. She, she starts off doing a Northern Irish accent, which works. Yeah. And then, yeah, she goes Irish Pakistani. She starts going, how would an Irish woman say the word coat? Yeah. And she'd go, well, they'd probably put more letters in it, wouldn't they? Yeah. Quat! Yeah. You can see why they've put her in it. She looks fantastically beautiful. That Which, again, is the problem with a lot of the prostitutes in this. They look like they've just been done up for a photo shoot. Yeah. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't look very nice. No. The thing. They're effectively homeless. They are. And, and it's funny in this because they do portray them. They show them as people. But, of course, then you've got... They're played by Susan George... And yeah. the Seth Anthony, and they are glamorous. They're also women who, I think, at that time were seen as being sex bombs. Hmm. They were sex pots. Susan George, especially, was a sort of sex kitten. Straw dogs. Yeah. I mean, the equivalent nowadays, you'd be putting in Jordan. Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> one, of, Katona. one of the Nolans. <laughs> Well, she'd bully the rest of the prostitutes. At least the Nolans could do an Irish accent. That's true. Yeah. And they could dance. Yeah. I mean, not necessary for this film, but... <laughs> <For> too far. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, Mary Kelly's being bullied by her pimp. Yeah. He's been beaten up by the establishment, we think, to give Mary Kelly to this person. Now, Lise sees a vision of a woman with blonde hair and a knight in armour, which is another red herring, because there's a new prostitute on the block not J-Lo yeah. <laughs> and uh, she's got blonde hair so we're led to believe that she's going to be t- the next stripper victim but yeah we know that's not true and uh, so Mary Kelly goes home and this is the thing about the Mary Kelly killing is, is the, the one that was actually done in a, a lodging yeah not on the street yeah and so unfortunately he kind of went to town on her which is again why the conspiracies all have Mary Kelly at the heart of it yeah I think Alan Moore said this you you look at that and you say she must have done something to deserve this appalling treatment yeah they portray this scene so well in the film they do because they have the the rents where it took place the single room yeah they show the landlord going in he did discover her body yeah they show him coming out absolutely horrified and she did have a slightly broken window that you could peer through i mean the actual attention to historical detail here is i I know they are making a film of one theory Mm. rather than the reality but the bit's that are real, they get bang on every time. Yep, absolutely. Kane goes in, Lewis Collins goes in, and they come out, and Lewis Collins is is just in tears. Mm. And the bit for me that really sold this, where I sort of go, this is so much better than you'd expect it to be. When they come out and they're talking about the horrors, there's birdsong behind them. Yeah. And that horrible thing of going, there is pure horror in this room, 
but the world goes on. Mm. And if you haven't seen in that room, then the world is still there and it's still full of birds and it's swinging. But what they have seen is something so awful that you come out. The fact the world is still going on as it was before, it just seems such a clever thing to do there, to not have ramped up music, to not have dun-dun-dun, but just to have it's a normal day. It's a normal day, and last night something fucking appalling happened. I thought that was such a bold piece of work. Yeah, but unfortunately it's then followed by Lusk turning up and going, bloody hell, what are you doing? And he punches him. We're getting a bit Hollywood here, aren't we? Yeah. You know, and Kane from this point on is shouting a lot. And then where do they go straight away? Mansfield. Yay. We're side Jack. (laughs) You bloody did it. You're an actor. Mm. And uh, he he's with Jane Seymour, and it turns out they spent the night together, so she is his alibi, yeah. which is another dagger to Abilene's heart. It's a little bit annoying that they have no women roles, and mm. the role of that woman is to go, all women are somehow dishonest or ephemeral, and their hearts are not set in the way that Abilene is trying to save the women, and yet look how the women repay him. Mm. An annoying beat. But they go and see Gull to show him the picture, as you mentioned, and he again confirms that only a madman would do this. Mm. And when they come out, they see the coach driver, if we got to mention him earlier, Netley. I love Netley, played yeah. by George Sweeney. Looks like a sort of, if Oliver Reed in the 60s had a annoying younger brother. I thought you were going to say had sex with a monkey. <laughs> Not far off. Don't, don't think for a moment that Oliver Reed in the 60s didn't did. have sex with a monkey. He definitely did. Just a party piece. For a bit. Which, oh, are, which of the party tricks are you going to do? Are you going to uh, balance the pint glass on your dick? Are you going to show us the eagle tattoo on your dick? Or are you going to stick your dick in a monkey? Oh, he's sticking his dick in a monkey. Hey! Hey! <laughs> and this was the produce. Yeah, George Sweeney's still alive. Still, I think his last film was Revolver with Guy Ritchie. But Jesus Christ, his face in this is brilliant. It's Dickensian. He was also the helicopter pilot in Your Eyes Only. He is a, a strange thing. A, a reuni- reunion of um, the, the two henchmen from For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, in a Jack the Ripper period piece. Weird, isn't it? But God, George Sweeney is great in this. There's a, the scene. I'm sure we'll get to it where Kane beats him up in yeah. the prison cell. George Sweeney is fantastic in yep. that. Mm. When Michael Caine is doing his what is acting, they mm. should show George Sweeney going from fear, rebellion, horror, realisation. It, it's a little bit, and I know this is going to sound silly, he does have a similar stature to Bob Hoskins. Mm. The acting he was doing in that reminded me a little bit of the last scene on Long Good Friday, yeah. where he's just going, I'm going to do loads and loads of conflicting emotions. They are going to fly past. It's a much shorter scene than, the, obviously, the end of Long Good Friday. But he just, he works it. Fucking brilliant. Yeah. Loved it. So Kane goes to the commissioner and says, I know you've resigned, but I need you to sign this pardon. And they take in the coach driver and beat him up and then say, if you help us, this is an official pardon. Mm. So you'll never go to prison. Yeah. Because you'll hang. You it's a Queen's prison. pardon. Queen's pardon. Um, so basically he says, I want you to get the Ripper out one more time. So he does. He gets the coach out. He gets the Ripper. And they get the blonde girl that we mentioned earlier. Oh, we should say, the vision that Lee's had of the blonde lady with the suit of armour was a picture that was in Mary Kelly's room of, uh, I guess, Guinevere with Lance. Once again, you're saying that uh, Lee's was a genuine psychic. Yeah. And I think that is probably the wrong note to set. I think so. Mm, It puts a bit of magic into it, which you don't really need. No. They then, they offer him a confession, which he does, and they get the Ripper out. And they do an entrapment case, which won't stand up in court. No. Um, So they have the woman standing there, the coach comes along, grabs her, and then... Kane comes out with a gun. Yep. And they grab the Ripper and pull him out of the coach. And it's uh, William Gull. It is. And he's gone all mad. He has. He's saying, I must complete my work. The, the sort of entrapment bit. That, again, is going, how do we end this with a bang? From Hell, the, the graphic novel does it so much better, mm. where they, they go to see him, Lees and Abilene, and 
he just sort of confesses like a madman would. And then they did the From Hell film where him and Gull have a big fight during but, a coach chase. You know what? People people don't mind the From Hell film. I don't and hate I it. hate it. Mm. I, th- I really think it's poor. It gets some things right. I think mm. it gets the settings right and the grimness of it. But the casting's terrible. It really is bad. They had a thing here as well. That they said that they recorded three different endings. Yes, Kane says that in the interview, didn't he? I think that's bollocks. I think that's bollocks too. You just say to the actors, don't tell anyone. You wouldn't say, we're going to add another two weeks onto this production yeah. shoot. I think that's just something you say to sell it, isn't it? I think it is, It's such yeah. a mystery that we filmed five different endings. If you film five different endings, there's a lot of build-up that you'd have to do to get to that position. It's like the end of that film, Clue. Uh-huh. That did have four or five different endings. Did it? They show you all of them in sequence. Um, so Gull, uh, he falls over and bangs his head. And Gull has a cerebral hemorrhage. Yep. So he's dying. So they take him in and um, they find out he is indeed mad. Yeah. Which is, you know, ironic, because he, he was an expert on madness. I know. Imagine that. What a turn up for the books. And the commissioner, who at this point has only got about 18 minutes left in his job, mm. says, let's sweep this under the carpet, because there's a lot of embarrassment. For and Kane does quite a lot of shouting. He, he murdered five women! Yeah. Oh, God! I can't do it justice. He does it much better. He does do it really well. The commissioner the commissioner was actually wearing some of the costume is actually genuine clothes that were worn by Commissioner Warren, the real man. Wow. I was just remembering something else from this, this year in 88. There was also a documentary uh, Thames did called The Black Museum. Do you ever see that? No. That's on YouTube in its entirety. It's amazing. Really? They go to the Scotland Yard Black Museum. Did you see the Museum of London put on oh, no, they, highlights from the Black I Museum? I wanted to see it. It's the same sort of thing. It was fantastic. Yeah. True crime is... A guilty pleasure Mm. when you see all these things that you've read about at various points they had some really good like modern stuff as well like the uh, number plate from the car that was put outside tiger tiger in leicester square as part of a islamist uh, explosion that didn't happen really up to date they have a funny bit at the end where they they catch up on what everyone well you get the good line as well where george says i I wanted justice yes michael kane says well you should have let me shoot him george yeah because he stops him from shooting him. he does and then he repeats it again you should have let me shoot him. Again, I'm going to say, I thought this was brilliant. Yeah. The pace of it, to keep up the pace over three hours, is just incredible. It didn't put a foot wrong. I thought it was going to be a right laugh and we'd be laughing about how hokey and crap it was. Did Kane make anything better than this in the second part of the 80s? No way. It's that funny thing, I think, of going back to television and him going, well, I actually have to work here. I have to make this look good because otherwise it looks like I'm small and I'm getting smaller and I can't do the films anymore. Yeah. And so he comes out here and he just absolutely blisters through it. There is a note at the end, you know, you, you were just saying about how at the end it tells you what all the characters did. Yeah. The characters, the real people mm. did. And it said that Netley, the coach driver, he died in exactly the same way Brian Harvey nearly did. Because <laughs> he got run over by his own coach. Which is funny because George Sweeney in this looks like an animated baked potato. It does. His little head. He looks a bit like Brian Harvey. <laughs> does. The young George Sweeney could play Brian Harvey. Why haven't they done a BBC4 drama do you about know, the Brian Harvey? Do you, do you know, John, that is that is probably the biggest mystery of all. Not who is Jack the Ripper. Why has George Sweeney not done a Brian Harvey tribute biopic? I don't know. But there's Jack the Ripper. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, uh, you hmm. your, your dad, is, you've, we've talked about this before, but your yeah. dad's a ripperologist, isn't Amateur. Well, is there a professional ripperologist? Well, they get on telly all the time, don't yeah, they? Like Martin Fido and... Who does your dad think did it? Uh, I think he thinks Kosminski did it. Who do you think did it? When I was a kid, I wanted it to be Druitt because he committed suicide just as the murders ended. But I reckon it's Kosminski. Well, I, I think it's Kosminski. Hmm. And the reason I think it's Kosminski is because he's the most obvious candidate... But we've reached the point of the podcast Yay! where it's the quick-fire questions round. Now, we can't do Bond questions anymore, obviously. Are they about Jack the Ripper? No. No. But these are all garnered from Michael Caine's actual Twitter account. So these are questions he has asked his followers. So I'm going to put them to my followers vis-a-vis you. Lovely. Okay. Have you ever been locked in attic? 
<laughs> no, I haven't. Hmm. But I, I have actually I have fallen through an attic when I, I was told not to go up by my dad. And I, I went up and I, within seconds, as I was still saying, don't be so stupid, I fell through the attic <laughs> and landed at his feet. And there was a moment where I thought he is going to think this is hilarious. Uh-huh. He did not find it hilarious. He was furious. <laughs> and I remember his reaction was so bad. I went out walking for about seven hours. And I thought he'd have calmed down. And when I came back, he was still furious. <laughs> you would. What are your favourite music? <laughs> this is how he said them in his tweets. He, not... He's really into like Balearic beat and stuff. Yeah, isn't he loves he? chill out music. Chill out music. When he does Island Disc, he shows loads of ambient <laughs> stuff. I carry on thinking of him in Children of Men smoking a big bifter. Uh, my favourite music, it's the Smiths. I used, I used to really like Morrissey, and you know, uh, it's a shame, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Have you ever had a wonderful day in your garden? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't think I have. That's sad. If, like Sir Michael. You were in beautiful Armenia, as he called it, mm. for two hours and 53 minutes before flying back to London. What would you do to pass the time? I'd get pissed. Yeah. I, I love getting pissed abroad. Yeah. Who doesn't? No one. It's like it doesn't count. If you were on a bus that was teetering on the edge of a cliff and suddenly had to have a great idea to save the day, what would it be? Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd let it go. Do you know what? It's the hope, isn't it? Mm. If you're on a bus that's teetering over the edge, the horror is going, can I save myself? I I wouldn't even fucking bother. I just I, it's the hope that kills you. I jump to the front and I just let it smash, smash, smash. I start masturbating. <laughs> That's not going to make it rock less. Well, no. <laughs> and finally, what are your best and indeed worst Michael Caine films? Ooh, um, I love Get Carter. I would say that my favourite is Alfie. I mm-hmm. saw it at a point when I was probably in my mid-teens where it just seemed the epitome of cool. One of the first films as well that seemed really grown up to watch it also had julia foster in who i think is one of the sort of lost actresses of the 60s she did half a sixpence and she did alfie she's also in the small world of sammy lee yeah which is one of my favorite films of all time my least favorite michael Caine. yeah i mean it would probably have to be something like oh, do you know what do you know what? this is going to be horrible hannah and her sisters I, I it's such a boring film i know mm. he won the oscar for it i think it's i think it's a really really boring film it's a bad woody allen mm. I think it was really, really over-celebrated. You know, his performance in it is fine. I, I hate, I, I really hate that film. I think it's one of the worst Woody Allen films. I really do. It's easy to say something like Jaws of Revenge because it's a bad film. But I think I hate Hannah and the Sisters more because it's regarded as being a good and worthy film. And it's actually unforgivably boring. Yeah. Mark Haynes, thank you for coming on and letting me talk about Jack the Ripper too much. You can never talk about Jack the Ripper too much. I can't, but no. it's probably best not to record it. I, sh- <laughs> <laughs> and I shall not quit until I do get buckled. Yeah. You've always got to take your life lessons from Jack the Ripper. Well, no, don't. don't if you're listening, don't do that. God, you have copycat killings. But thank you. So until next time, in the words of Michael Caine, I will continue to have the best time, and I hope you do too. That's really sweet. It is. It was Inspector Frederick Abilene who investigated the gruesome murders deep in London's Whitechapel and was never allowed to reveal the identity of the killer. Michael Caine plays the inspector, which he says is such a good part it convinced him to break his ban on working for television. With Abilene, this is the detective I play who investigated Jack the River, he got a lot of flack from all sides, from everybody, because people were trying to cover up for the guy who actually did it. But it, he was truly dedicated copper, and I really, really loved the guy. That's why I want to play him. When I got this script, I thought, right now I'm really going to find out. 
and at the end it said two scenes missing so I don't even know and I think to uh, um, to stop anybody finding out I think they're going to shoot four or, six, four or five endings so that uh, only the director will know and the writer will know who it really was What sort of money did you ask for it? Uh, as much as I could get <laughs> there is a ceiling on television but um, no, I, I, I was paid very well I was I paid better than the last time I did television which was Hamlet for the BBC 20 years ago I now have I've got a raise Michael still has to put in a spot of sleuthing before he gets to work on Jack the Ripper playing Sherlock Holmes in a spoof film of another great Victorian detective Scarlett Maguire for Thames News Great Big Owl Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.